Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? The love of God. You know, when God's love grabs a hold of our hearts, it brings forth such a change. It takes away all weirdness. Amen. I thank, I, I thank God that, that, that we've got the Holy Spirit and not the Holy Spook. Amen. So the Heilige Geest, not the Heilige Spooky. Sometimes when it comes to the spiritual things, we are so spooky. But spirit, to be in the spirit of something means to be in the mindset of that thing. When we are in the Spirit of God, when we are in the Spirit of Christ, when we have the Spirit of Christ, we are in the mindset of Jesus. And the mindset of Jesus is simply this. I represented you, and who I am is who you are. And my, my vision is to get you to believe this. And if you can believe this, you will find my spirit, this, this vital principle, also backed by the, now it's difficult to say it like this, the physical Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. With this mindset of God's unconditional love and grace, I want to touch on sin. And what is sin in the, um, in the New Testament? How does sin work? You know, so many times we think... Um, uh, uh, what, what, you know, Jesus Christ forgave the sin of the world. And just a little bit of background on what Jesus Christ has done um, for us. John the Baptist said a wonderful thing. He said, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't say who will potentially take away the sin of the world. He doesn't say who will take the sin, away the sin of the world when the people stop their sin. If somebody has stopped his sin, you don't need your sin to be taken away, for it has been taken away by your willpower. Amen. So, here was Jesus. He came on the earth and he rejoiced in doing this thing. And when he was baptized with the baptism of John, because John's baptism was the baptism of sinners, he was baptized into the sin of the whole world. And when he came out of the water, the sin of the whole world was on one man. And the greatest voice ever came from the heavens and said this is my son in whom I am well pleased why was he well pleased because in one act of obedience in baptism Jesus removed your son from you and took it on him and that I mean it pleased the father well (laughs) amen isn't that awesome that is what brought joy to the Father, to see you innocent and your sin on the land. Then three years later, that sin died in Jesus, and we can now go with the gospel of peace. The gospel of God is at peace with you, and He's not angry with you. Now, I might, uh, if, if, if you want to know a little bit more of technically what salvation is, I've got a message on the website that I've just uploaded. I, I made it the day before yesterday. And uploaded explaining salvation. The fact that people are led out from bondage. The fact that Jesus paid for your sin and removed the sin of the whole world. Doesn't mean that you shall be saved in the return of Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Okay. So what happens? Jesus Christ came through his act of obedience and made us righteous. 
Now he says, this righteous person shall have eternal life by faith. We cannot live outside of believing in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Even with Adam. Adam was just. Adam was righteous. But he didn't live. Why didn't he live? Because he did not believe in what God has said and then partook of the tree of life. But he partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the gospel we have is God's not angry with you. God has saved you from being saved by the law. God het jou gered van die systeem wat sê, jy is gered dier jou werke. Hy het jou gered afvan, hy het die hele wereld gered afvan. He saved the whole world from being saved by works. So, to a certain extent, we can say the whole world is saved. But what are they saved from? They are saved from being saved by the law. Then there's still something in our bodies called physical death. We become older. Those of you that are very young, I want to tell you, it happens, man. It happens. And you know, if you want to be great quickly, get involved in church politics. That will get you great quickly. Thank God I'm out of that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. You get involved in church politics, you become great quickly. It happens. We've got that in our bodies. Now, the promise that God made to us is this is the promise. I will lead you out and I will give you immortality in, in my return when I come back. That you will never die. The, the earth will be made new. Jesus will come back. The earth will be made new. Your body, those that died will stand up out of the graves. Those that live will have immortality manifesting in their body. That's the promise. Now, for a human being to enter into eternal life, you need faith. Faith in what? Faith that you've been redeemed. Faith that you saved from works and that He has got the ability to produce it in you free from your works. That is the faith we need to have and stay in. Hallelujah. I mean, look at the Israelites. They were all led out of Egypt, okay, into the desert. But all of them did not enter the promised land. The fact that they were saved from slavery did not save them from dying in the desert. What saves us from death here, and, and forget physical death now, just spiritual death, going through hard times and, and, and how to handle your hard times and all those things. What saves us from those things getting us under is our persuasion in how much God loves us and cares for us. Not desiring to go back to Egypt, which is a works mentality where you by your works are saved. So, um, when, we, when we think of sin, we cannot think of sin outside of the parameters that God laid down for us in Jesus. We can never think of sin the way the Jews thought of sin. Now, what I found is, um, and I remember years ago, this is what I used to preach. I used to preach sin as deeds. Sins. Now, there is a sin, and then there, there are sins. Okay? Sins are the, like what we call, and, and if you want to use Bible terminology, it's called the fruit of the flesh. Now let me explain that to you. The fruit of the flesh is when you are in a certain place where your flesh starts to bear fruit. Okay, now, how does our flesh bear fruit? If you can go and read Romans 7, Romans 7, Paul says... I was living a holy life, 
until I came under the law. When I became law-minded again, then sin started to manifest in my life. It's like, I remember when I just received Jesus as my Savior, I lived a very holy life. Never. Then I went to Bible school. There's something there. What happened? All of a sudden, all the reasons why I cannot be blessed, I've been taught. And then I tried to work these things up. And this is what Paul says. He says, when I was, al- I was alive without the law. I lived the holy life when I, when I received Jesus and didn't live by the Ten Commandments anymore. But, or by any dude to become principal anymore like sowing and reaping or whatever. When I didn't live by that, I lived a very holy life. But the moment I became law-minded, this is Romans 7 verse 9. He says, sin revived in me. And then he explains in Romans 7. He says, the flesh uses the law to manifest in your life. And that is called the fruit of the flesh. But now God says, if I can take the law away and give you the message of love, then my spirit in you will use this message of love and bear my fruit in you. Okay. So if you want to sin, get law-minded. If you want to sin, get law-minded. If you want to sin, get to a place where you think, well, I don't qualify, God doesn't love me, and I need to get do three things for God to love me more. I've got good news for you. God cannot love you more. He cannot love you more. Amen. There's nothing you can add to your life that will make God smile more over your life. I've said it many times, before you buy anything, I mean, if you, if, if, if you go to the shop and you want to buy yourself, if, if you're a lady, you want to buy yourself a nice blouse or a dress or something, you first smile over the dress before you buy the dress. God first smiled over you before He invested in you. And He invested in you 2,000 years ago. Meaning... He knew what mankind would still do, all the sins and everything, even what Hitler would do. He knew all those sins, but still smiled and said, I will still, it's worth the while to invest my son for somebody like Adolf Hitler. That had millions of people murdered. Some of the leaders here in Africa that just have people murdered and slaughtered, you know. For Muslim people that, 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 that bomb places. God saw so much value even in that person that he said it's worth the while to invest my son. I'm not wasting anything. It's not as if the payment is not worth it. Because he saw the value of the person outside of his works. God's way of looking is different than our way of looking. Look at what I just read here after we worship. The song says, uh, uh, the, the, um, it says in, what is, the, what is it? It's in Hosea 11. It says that, how will I destroy you? It talks about people that goes back into prostitution, that goes into all kinds of sin. He says, I will not destroy you, for I am God and not a human. 
Meaning that God's perspective is not a human perspective. Now, this mentality of God does not breed more sin in people's lives. It breeds holiness. This is the only path unto a life of real commitment, unto a life of really loving God and experiencing His love. This is the only path, remember what I said before the service, we cannot bear fruit outside of intimacy. And intimacy in its correct way is simply this. Intimacy in its correct way is simply this. You need to experience love. Just sleeping around is not the intimacy the Bible talks about. The intimacy the Bible talks about is one person loves you and you yield to that love. You yield to that person's proposal. I mean, when we get married, what do we do? Husband goes to the wife, asks the wife, on bended knee, give her a ring and say, listen, this is actually what he says. I am willing to commit my love, my life to loving you. Are you willing to be the object on which I will bestow all my love? And that's what God does with the world. He comes before the world and what does He do? He comes on bended knee and say, I am the Lord God. Look at who I am. I am a person that does not look at your works. I, he advertised himself in Jesus. He showed who he was. He showed that he doesn't make anybody sick. That he hates sickness. Rather want to bring healing. He, shows, he showed forth that he is not a sin conscious person. He showed forth that He possesses the ability to remove your sin free from your works. He showed forth in in, in portraying Himself in human flesh 2,000 years ago who the Father really was and took away all our sins. And now He comes in that act and He says, Will you marry me? This is who I am and I can never change. Are you willing to be the object on which I can bestow who I am. I love you. My goodness. That is the gospel, man. That is good news for every person. It's like I said, the guy that sat next to me on the plane on the way back here, I spoke to him about Jesus. He said to me, you know, his brother tried the Jesus thing. That's what he told me. His brother tried the Jesus thing, and it works for him, but he doesn't know if it's going to work for him now. And as I shared this love for five minutes, he said to me, I can believe that. I can believe that. Who cannot believe this? Only a legalist. Only a legalist. Only a person who confides in human willpower to get people holy. Only him will reject this. But the sinner will love this. Because this will bring a new life. I tell you, commitment is born in my wife's heart by the way I love her. Commitment is not something she needs to decide on. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be born. God's vision for us is not for us to decide on a good life. His vision is to have uh, uh, His nature born into our lives. 
that it is it's a living thing inside us that generosity and peace and those things is not a decision of the will but it is something born from a revelation of his love for us amen so now with this in mind and we talk about sin what can sin be but rejection of this love What can sin be but rejection of this love? I want to read to you um, just the, the definition of, of sin. Oh, man, I've got so many papers. Let us papier daar ergens. Notas. My goodness. That's it. That's it. You know, they did that personality test on me. And when it comes to paperwork, I got a zero. <laughs> so I'm doing well. Okay. Sin means, Thaya's definition of sin, to be without a share in. Not to share in something. So in other words, <laughs> if God comes and He gives His word... His new law, defined in Psalm 40. His law is this, not the Ten Commandments, not you must love the Lord, not you must love the Lord your God, you must love your neighbor, that's not God's law. Psalm 40 describes God's law. God says, this is my law, or a law is a, a principle, this is my principle, that I will have loving kindness towards you. My new law is, I will love you. My new law is, I will save you. My new law is, I will be righteous towards you. That's the new law. Go and read in Psalm 40. Okay. Now, if God comes and gives His word and His law, what will sin be? Sin will be the breaking of that law. So how, excuse me, how can sin be anything else but rejecting that love? Or that, according to the definition of sin here, Man, this is printed just like this size definition, Greek definitions. It says this, to be without the sharing. Not to share in this love. So, it's actually a sin to say, God will deal with me on the basis of my works. You're sinning. It means to miss the mark. To be mistaken. That is sin. To be mistaken. We've made sin a very bad thing in a, sin, in a certain sense. And I don't want to be easy on sin here because I want to tell you, if you, you can't be mistaken on the rugby score. You know? And that will have a certain effect in your life. But if you're mistaken on the love of God, that's a serious thing. It can dump your life into works righteousness. It can dump you into condemnation. It can dump you into judgment. It can dump you into so many things that will destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your business because you will be so works orientated. And even if your business works and your marriage works, it will be an effort. It will not be a natural thing that's born from God. Amen. Hallelujah. And I wish I could preach this to the whole world now. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Everybody needs to hear this. 
Amen. We're starting to. Thank you, Jesus. To be without a sharing. It means to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor. So what sin is, is to, is to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor. What does that mean? This is the way I see it. When we sin, we are walking away from the path of uprightness. What, there's only one path of uprightness. It's how upright God is in loving a sinner. The path of honor, where we receive God's honor, how He honors us, and how we honor His honor towards us. As simple as that. That is the word sin. That's taken from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, before I I go to Hebrews 12 verse 1, I want to just read John 20 quickly. Just to declare again what is the gospel that we're supposed to preach. I want to tell you, you know, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. I, I, I tell you, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. That's wisdom. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, you know. Uh, um, and, and, I, and I've come to realize that if you really understand something, you can explain it in a very simple way. Otherwise, you don't understand the thing. So there are many things I see in the Bible that makes me very happy, but I don't want to preach about it because I can't explain it in a simple way, meaning I don't really understand the thing. But there's things here about God's love that is so simple, that is so easy, that it's almost too difficult for a human mind to believe. Hallelujah. Just go to, let's go to John 20. John 20. The Gospel of Peace. It's not the gospel of potential peace. It's not the gospel of God can give you peace. Or or God will have peace. No, no. It's the gospel of He is at peace. And when you make peace with the fact that He made peace with you, then you'll have peace. As I say that again. When you make peace with the fact that He has made peace with you and the whole world, then you enter into His peace. Hallelujah. God's not an angry God. Verse 21. This is, and I I read it last week, but this is so good. I need to read it again. And God did not make it disappear from my Bible, so I'm sure I can read it again. means God wants to say it again. Amen. Then, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace unto you. Now remember, Jesus died. He came out of the grave, appeared to Mary. Mary saw him, thought he was a gardener. Then he went to the Father. Now he comes back with a message from the Father. Okay, to speak to people. This is what he says. He appears in their very midst. The Bible doesn't say he walked through the door or he walked through the walls. He appeared in their midst. What does it mean? It means he has always been there, but you just couldn't see him. So then he just appeared. Hallelujah, man. When he said, I am close to you, he doesn't lie. 
So he appeared there, showed his hands, and he sighed, and he said, Peace unto you. The word peace means the emotion of not being indebted. It's the emotion. Peace is an emotion. It's an emotion of knowing you have no debt. Jesus comes with a message from the Father. And very interesting, everybody that went to the Father and spoke to the Father about people, even if they were sinners, thinking of the Corinthian church, the letter starts out this way. Peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I've just spoken to God, and now He wants me to write to you something. But the first thing God says about you is, Peace unto you. And that's not just from the Father, also from Jesus. The emotion of not being indebted. That's the platform of discussion. I want to tell you, God doesn't speak from any other platform. He first creates the platform of discussion. The platform of discussion is... You are not owing God. From there we can talk. Before that, we will first work on the platform. Amen. The whole discussion is about the platform. Until the platform is set, grace and peace unto you. God's influence in Christ is the platform of God's discussion. Amen. Grace and peace unto you. So here comes Jesus. He, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, hi, how are you? Man, it was a close call for some of you guys there at the cross, you know. Some of you can run, huh? He didn't say that. He wasn't talking about that. He didn't want to waste any time. He came with what was important. He didn't greet them. He just said, peace unto you. That's the first thing he said. And then he repeated himself. With, with signs. Peace unto you. And when he had, and when he, um, and when he had said, and, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, and then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace unto you. So he comes, he says, this is what happened. He first comes, he says, Peace unto you. I'm going to dramatize the thing. Peace unto you. Peace unto you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. Next verse. Whosoever sins you declare as forgiven, is forgiven. Whosoever sins you don't declare as forgiven, they will stand guilty. So what is the, I mean, what is our obligation? Our obligation is to speak a word in line with what He has said. Peace. Meaning sins has been removed. Meaning sins has been taken away. And we sit with such an obligation as church leaders and as people that believe in Jesus that we must realize if we preach people guilty, they will always feel guilty. But the truth is that Jesus declared peace. And He says, as the Father has sent me. How, what did Jesus do with their sins? Their sins where they rejected Him and ran away. What did He do? They, he came and said unto them, peace unto you. Peace unto you. That's what He said. Peace unto you. 
they, they went through willpower, even before they received the Holy Spirit, tried to obey Jesus by willpower, they couldn't do it. They sinned by a fleshly sinning, by not being able. What was Jesus' words towards them? Peace means, you don't owe me anything, meaning, wherever you've been guilty, it's been washed away. Whosoever sins you forgive, it will be forgiven unto them. Jesus knew. And this was how the Father sent Him. The Father sent Him to proclaim peace. So He says, that's how we are sent. We declare people innocent. Amen. Now, Bertie, what is sin then? Sin is reject, re- rejecting this message of innocence. That is what sin is. Rejecting this gospel of grace. And I want to tell you the effect of that is death. There's nothing greater than that. You know what? If somebody throws you the lifeline, if you're drowning, that lifeline, what would be death? Rejecting the line. It's not because the guy who throws the line is angry with you. It's because you're not taking the only lifeline. That's all. It's because you're not accepting his salvation. It's like I heard this one guy in Zimbabwe who preached. They've got a big issue there, some of the black churches, about women preaching. Is a woman allowed to preach? So then the one pastor stood up, it was like a discussion, he said, I want to just know, if you are drowning and a lady throws the lifeline, will you grab it? (laughs) That's the answer. Thank you, Jesus. I don't care who it comes through. Just give me that lifeline. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, wherefore, seeing we also are surrounded um, around with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resist, resisted sin, Unto, uh, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, I want to explain that. That verse so many times condemns people, thinking they have not resisted sin. You know, you think of, uh, you want to smoke that cigarette, and now you think, I shouldn't smoke that cigarette. In us Christians, we get the funniest sin. When we, when we begin in our Christian walk, you know, it's smoking and drinking and sleeping around. We get rid of that. Then after a while, it's even sin to watch TV. It just becomes worse. There's, 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 there's like no life, you know. It just becomes worse. But, and now we want to resist. Eventually we do things that are so difficult for us. And then we come with this verse that says, You have not resisted sin unto bloodshed. Now imagine you look at somebody standing there, um, you know, at his house. You come to his house. You see now he's bleeding. You ask him, Why are you bleeding, brother? He says, No, I'm resisting sin. You really want to sin, huh, brother? You're resisting until you bleed. 
No, that's not what it's talking about. That's not what, 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 what uh, um, Hebrews is talking about there. He says here, and the context from, you can read from chapter 3 actually, but especially in chapter 10, it comes to the grace message that I'm preaching to you now. People received it, and then they were tempted to leave this message. And that is what the sin would be. To, according to the definition, to be without a share in. They were tempted not to have a share in this gospel by Jewish people coming to the Hebrews, which were other Jews that were Christians, telling them, we're not going to do business with you if you believe in Jesus. Putting them out of the synagogue. Telling them they cannot come to the temple. I mean, so many things that happened to them, persecuted for believing this good news. Now he says, he says to them here, lay aside every weight. Now, I want to explain that. Let's just read it again there. He says here, Wherefore, seeing we also have this great witnesses around us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So he says, let's take every weight. What does Jesus say? He says, all you that labor and are heavy laden, all the weight you're carrying, that was a, and, and for those of you that have listened to this before, when he says, the weight that you were carrying, talking about a yoke. He says, take my yoke. The, the, the Hebrews understood yoke as teaching. Teaching. Okay? So he said, or oh, doctrine. So he says, Come to me all you that work hard and has got a heavy teaching on you. That you need to work so hard to get God happy. Now he comes in Hebrews 12. He uses the same kind of a terminology. He says, lay aside this weight, this heavy teaching, and this sin of going back into that old traditional way of works righteousness, which just produces the fruit of the flesh. In you, which is sins. Okay? I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm giving it my best. <laughs> so he says, lay this aside. What is he actually saying? He says, don't even look at the old way of doing. Resist that old way of doing. Continue in patience. Continue being in patience with what God has given. Walk patiently in this gospel. Now, what does it mean to be patient in the gospel? It means, well, <clears throat> if I'm not going to be judged by my works, well, I'm just going to be satisfied with that now. And I'm going to patiently live a life where I'm not going to be justified by my works. I'm in patience. I'm sitting in that place of patience. I'm patient. God said, while you're on the earth... You're not living now. You're not justified by your works. My Holy Spirit is the proof and the seal of salvation. You are righteous by my Son. As He is, 1 John 4, so are you in this world. You don't have to be afraid of anything. I declare you righteous. I declare you clean. And now be patient in that atmosphere. Be happy with that for a long time. Until I come back and give you an immortal flesh. That's patience. That's Bible's patience. Now I don't know, the other day I had the same thing. I think I mentioned here last time. I get to the bank. And then there is this line of people. They queue up. 
And then I'm in the back, obviously. I came there last. And then I, I wait, I wait, I wait, I wait. And when I get to the front, I look, and there's nobody behind me. <laughs> then I came there last. It's like Murphy's Law. <laughs> Bad law. I, I mean, that, that's, now, that is not how God teaches you patience. God doesn't teach you patience by... Man, if God teaches patience that way, the people in New York and Johannesburg must be the most patient people there is. But they frustrate that they hoot, they, you know, give sign language while they drive, the whole thing. Patience, the Bible's patience means to be happy with the fact that you are righteous, free from your works, and to stay happy with it. And wait for the fruit of that, which is good works manifesting in your life, plus an immortal flesh in the return of Jesus. Right. Isn't that awesome? When we sin in the New Testament, it is when we are missing out on the message of no condemnation. You're missing out on the message of no condemnation by living a life where you feel condemned. You're missing out on the message of no condemnation. You're saying, no, 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 I'm not willing to accept that. It's when you try and be justified by your works. It's when you miss out on the loving kindness of God. Missing out, not sharing in. You're missing it. That is called sin. Now let me explain to you sin in this way and and, and the devastation of that kind of a sin. Imagine there's somebody out there uh, uh, like, say, a, a child that really needs love, you know. He sits in a, in a situation where this child has been molested, this child's been gone through a hard time, and they that child desperately needs somebody to really love him with a pure, honest heart. And then the guy comes, and he is willing to give that love, but that child does not receive that love. What will be the consequences in that child's love? A life. That child, the chance is very big that that child will, will, will if, it's, if it's a very bad situation, will, will go into drugs, will go into prostitution, will, will, will have, sleep around with everybody, will never have a stable uh, income, will have children that they cannot parent. Uh, just chaos. Why? Because they missed out. They didn't share in the love brought for them. So I want to tell you, I think that's why, and I know, that's why the hurt world out there is hurting. That's why the church is hurting. They get into all kinds of things which they think will bring them joy. We must have a million people together, then God has blessed us. And now you work yourself off to death to get 200 people together. Because you know, to be a pastor is like herding cats, man. It's difficult. You know, a cat walks wherever he wants. The best thing I've realized when it comes to cats, just give good food. Then they come. Do you want to hurt them? Oh my goodness. You know, I don't want to. And the only other way is you must enslave the cat. Put something around him and pull him. And we're not going to enslave anybody. And they preach the gospel of God's unconditional love. We don't want you to miss out. Uh, to, to sin is to miss out on the peace God intended for you. To sin is not to identify with His life as your life. It's not defined anymore in 
did I say a bad word or not? I'm not saying go and say bad words. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, your, your language will change as the love of God gives birth to a new life in you. Laziness will fall away as God gives a new life. Um, love for people will be born in you as you are loved by God. Amen. So, sin in the New Testament is to miss out on what Jesus Christ has for you. Amen. I want to just see what other... That word, the Bible says, uh, sin easily besets us. That word beset means to skillfully surround. And that's exactly what the enemy does. He comes and he skillfully surrounds you. He skillfully surrounded Jesus when he was in the desert. When Jesus was in the desert, he had no food, he had no water, he had no friends, he was alone. The only thing he had was, I'm carrying the sin of the world, and God said that I am his son. When he came out of the baptismal water, he was baptized, went into the desert, there he was. Satan came very skillfully, first waited until he was very hungry. Then he comes and tells him, listen man, find your sonship in what you can do. Find your sonship in what you can do, not in what God says about you. Take the stone, make it a bread. Skillfully. He waits for the right situation in your life to come with His law, where you can be judged by, by, by what happens to you or your works. But I want to tell you, we resist that. We don't take that yoke upon us. We're not sinning. We are believing in His unconditioning, unconditional love. The only sin there is, I believe, is to reject this love which gives forth a new life that is born that looks like the life of Jesus. After, listen man, after He's done all these things, now I do believe that we can sin against each other. I do believe we can sin against the government. We can sin against fellow men. You can sin against your wife. Man, if I cheat on my wife, I'm sinning against her. That's it. But as pertaining to God, He paid for that sin. Will I suffer in this world? Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's the end of the ministry. Well, these days I see it's not the end anymore. You know, it's past the sleep around. <laughs> because it happens everywhere. So, it's so bad, you know, because people try by willpower to do things and they cannot do it and it just breeds forth all the sin and manipulation and control. But I will tell you, God set you free. And He's given you a message of peace. You go with this gospel of peace. You share this gospel of peace. Before you share it, you first believe it for yourself. And out of the overflow of feeling the emotion of not being indebted, you share the message of innocence with somebody else. It's not difficult to share somebody else's victory with them. If somebody won the lotto, it's easy to share it with him. Because his victory empowers your word. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes. Father, I want to thank you that we could be here together today. I thank you, Lord, that I can also pray for everybody that's watching by the, by the internet. <clears throat> People that sit with condemnation and judgment in their lives. I come right now and I just declare the peace of God. I declare the righteousness of God as your righteousness. You know, maybe you are seated here, maybe you watching this via the web, and you feel in your heart that you don't know the things that I'm doing. 
You don't know the sins that I am in. You don't know the destructive patterns that there, that there is in my life. And I will tell you, yes, I don't know those things. But that's not what I have to know. What I do know is the only way for you to be set free from those patterns. And that is to be embraced by God's love. Not to do what Martha was doing. To be, to, which, which was just all about, she was troubled by much serving. It's good to serve, but she was troubled by much serving. And she didn't sit at the feet of Jesus where Jesus could feed her. I want to tell you, God is not threatened by you receiving from Him. It's like Joseph Prince said. He said, the more you receive from God, the more He is energized. The more you receive from God, the more you receive, the more He's energized. If you want to put God on a high, just receive the message of no condemnation. Receive the unconditional love of God. Receive this peace as a free gift. Receive no condemnation. Receive the fact that, that, that He obeyed on your behalf. You so freely received the fact that Adam sinned on your behalf. Let's freely receive, receive right now that He obeyed on our behalf and gave us righteousness as a free gift. This righteous people shall have the life of God manifesting in them through persuasion. Through faith in what Jesus has done. Let's go and live a life persuaded of His goodness. Let's put into our ears what persuades us of His goodness. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Um, if anybody